Amen. Way to praise God, New Vintage. Yeah, praise the Lord. Um, uh, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 4 today. If you have a Bible, Bible app, want to get it open, I pray that you do. Uh, we're, gonna, we're in a series talking about joy. And uh, we talked last week about uh, how joy uh, is something that's kind of contrarian in the world in which we're living. And contrarian is just somebody who kind of goes against the, the winds. They kind of go against prevailing opinion about things. Uh, so to be a joyful person in an era where there's a lot of darkness, a lot of anger, a lot of vitriol just kind of floating around uh, is a bit of a contrarian move. And yet we're called to be joyful. Paul, the text we studied last week said, always, always. Well, today we're going to talk about the joy killers that have first and last names. People. Uh, the people that we encounter, uh, sometimes they're a part of our lives and we can't do anything about it. They might be uh, your spouse sitting next to you, hopefully not. But if it is, uh, your kids, uh, your exes, uh, your friends, anywhere that you've got brokenness in relationships, I think, I think uh, David has something for us uh, today. But just a couple of quick things as we get going. One is I want to put a bug in your ear about uh, Christmas Eve service coming up. It's never going to get any easier to invite somebody to come to church with you. And there's every, everybody on this planet needs joy. And there is no greater reason for joy than the person of Jesus Christ and what happens when God breaks into the world and, and just sets, begins the process of setting everything back right. And so I don't, it might be your family, it might be your friends, it might be whatever, but just give them a nudge and, and invite them with you. Uh, it's a normal time of year for people to do that kind of thing. It's low risk. Uh, so I want to encourage you to do that. And then secondly, wanted to rem remind you about our year-end offerings, okay? Uh, this may be a surprise to some of you, but most churches get about a fourth to a third of all of their offerings for the year in December. And uh, we have a lot of new people here, and that's awesome. Uh, but I wanted to just let you know that and also let you know we're trying to raise some money above and beyond what we would normally give in our, our uh, regular offerings to help support some of the outreach ministries. Back in October, we had a couple of our uh, missionaries, one here stateside and one uh, kind of on a college campus up in Idaho um, on the stage with us and talking about some of the different ways that we make an impact here in our community. So uh, I want to encourage you to support it, to support it generously and lavishly kind of as we get going today as an expression of the joy uh, that we have in Christ. So with that in mind, here we go. Joy, according to Paul, should characterize Christians. It's something that we should be known for because we're those who rejoice in the Lord always. The joy is found in the Lord. It's not found uh, kind of out there, as David's going to say today, in harvests of grain and wine and stuff. And it's not found just in like hearing good jokes and being temporarily happy. Joy is deeper than that. And it's something that we have uniquely that's ours in Christ because of what God does for us. So when he says rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, he's, the in the Lord part is the key. And every time he points people uh, toward joy, he points them simultaneously toward God, who is the fountain of joy. David's going to do the same today. He's going to talk about, and you kind of get the, uh, the sense that David's losing some sleep. Uh, you may be one of those people. Our state uh, is 29th out of 50 in sleeplessness. So that means we're a little bit better than half. The best sleeping state is, anybody want to guess? Minnesota. It's dark and freezing, I, and, and there's nothing to do. So what else are you going to do? You go to sleep, all right? Number one, who is the most sleepless state in the union? 
Anybody want to guess? New York. Almost everybody guesses New York. Close. Hawaii. So, Hawaii. How in the world can you people not sleep well? With the waves lapping on your shores, with the sweet whistle of Mother Nature going through your palm trees? Is it, is it possible that maybe we think that people sleep better when they're in a relaxing environment, when the weather's good, and you have every reason to be happy? Hawaiians are nice people. They're very nice people. They smile all the time. The aloha spirit. But they ain't sleeping so hot. It's almost like, it's almost like people can present themselves in a way different than they really feel. Can you believe that? Christians can do it. They can put on being joyful always, right? I got the church face. I got the church face. I can create it anytime you want. But God wants something better for us than that. He, he doesn't just want us to have a, an image or a superficial kind of joy. And so when we say we're choosing joy, we're not saying, okay, well, put your, uh, you know, your church face on or turn the frown upside down or pretend that the things that go on in your life and the things that people do to you aren't hurtful and they're not bad. They are. What the Bible is saying is, no, those things can be terrible. The people around you can be pretty terrible too, but there's a transcendent reality that you walk in if you're a Christian. That if you're a Christian, you understand that your future is secure. You understand that you've got an abundant life offered to you right now, in the here and now, that you've got a Savior, that you've got a God who is not just mighty, but He's willing to act on our behalf, and He listens when we call to Him. So that's what David does. In Psalm 4, we get the sense he's losing sleep. He seems to be thinking about his trouble. There are people giving him trouble. The issue seems to be that they're assassinating his character without merit. Gossipy, kind of like little, you know, gossip flies walking around saying, oh, David, 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 this. Did you hear that David did this? You know, every time I'm around David, he this and that and the other, and he's, they're going around causing him trouble particularly attacking his character, and it's driving him crazy. And so in typical Davidic fashion, he always asks the question, how long, like how long is this going to go on? <laughs> Basically, uh, do you intend to bring an end to this anytime soon? If so, I would appreciate it. That's how he seems to almost always address these things. He realizes they happen, he just doesn't know why they happen for so long. They're accusing David of things he hasn't done and making his life miserable to the point that he appears to be losing sleep over it. We use that expression to talk about things that make us anxious or worried, right? Oh, I'm losing sleep over it. David's losing sleep because of his broken relationships with others. And the overarching feeling is they make him feel unsafe. He's not sleeping well because he's worried about what they're doing while he's sleeping. Some of you may have been in that spot before. It's terrible. So I want to read this psalm to you. We'll unpack it a bit in terms of joy, uh, and the sermon will be yours. Here we go. Psalm 4. Answer me when I call to you, O God, who declares me innocent. Listen where he starts there. Answer me, God, you've declared me innocent. Free me from my troubles. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. 
How long will you people ruin my reputation? How long will you make groundless accusations? How long will you continue your lies? You can be sure of this. The Lord set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will answer when I call to him. Don't sin by letting anger control you. You can underline that one. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Offer sacrifices in the right spirit and trust the Lord. Many people say, who will show us better times? Let your face smile upon us, Lord. You have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. All right. So this Psalm of David talks about choosing joy when other people mistreat us. In David's case, he's being accused wrongfully of wrongdoing. He's disillusioned, he's hurt, and he's had enough. I love our church because you all actually seem to pay attention occasionally. And um, this week, one of our beloved NBCers uh, posted this on, on Facebook. Uh, she said, okay, I'm choosing joy, but people around me are choosing stupidity. What do I do now? <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was like, okay, I've been there. I've been there, right? It's like, what are you doing? Everybody around you is driving you crazy. Or they're hurting you, or they're doing something nuts. And they're infuriating, right? Well, David has an answer for us. We choose joy because God is greater than the people who hurt us who frustrate us, who drive us crazy, who pursue us, who anger us. So I've got three little observations for us to pull out of the psalm today and kind of follow his, his thinking. Remember, so the movement essentially is telling God what's going on. Then he describes a, what he perceives to be a reality about the existence of God and how good God is, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's always this movement to, so here's what I'm going to do. Okay. So we're going to start here. He says, trust is greater than anger. If you go back to verses 4 and 5, remember this one? He said, don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Offer sacrifices in the right spirit and trust the Lord. Now, there's actually a lot in that. I mean, you can almost make a sermon out of that little excerpt there. He says, if you're angry, don't say anything. <laughs> How much of our pains in the neck that we cause, our self-inflicted wounds, if we had just obeyed that one little word of wisdom? When you're angry, don't talk. All right? He says, don't sin. And he says, instead, sleep on it. Spend some time in worship or prayer. Offer sacrifices with the right spirit. And trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. But I don't trust these other people. I know. Well, that's his point. Who do you think has control of this whole thing? Do, do you think that God is going to allow people to wipe you off the face of the planet when you call to him? Do you believe that God's willing to answer your prayers? Do you believe he's just? Do you believe that that the righteous thing in the end can win out, that, that he will be our defender? Or do we believe that the people who nip at our heels, the people who say things about us or, or hurt us or frustrate us or whatever, are greater? 
They're so mighty, in fact, that they can't, they can out-arm wrestle God. See, David says, listen, when you're angry, he starts off with his own woes, and then he starts talking to kind of like a third party, which would be like us. When you're angry, don't sin. Instead, sleep on it. Spend some time in worship and trust the Lord. Uh, this week, my wife and I, were, we were talking about this, and uh, she reminded me of a book we had read a long time ago, a book by a theologian named Marva, Marva Dawn, and it's called Keeping the Sabbath Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Uh, she was talking about Sabbath, but the principle applies here, I think, as well. She points out to everybody that in the Jewish worldview, the day begins in the evening. See, here in America, we wake up, and we get after it, right? You get up, you get your coffee, go to your closet, figure out, oh, am I going to wear this or that? You get in the shower, you get out. And then, but, but there's usually not long periods of time where you're just loafing around in the mornings on a Monday or Tuesday, Wednesday, okay? In, in the Jewish worldview, it started when it was dark, and you started with rest. We think sleep is like our reward for working, right? Okay, I did what I'm supposed to do, now I can rest. But the idea was that while we're resting, God is doing things. He's restoring order. He's healing us. He's breathing life into us. Amen. So when we wake up, we wake up whole and ready to do what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, I really like that. If, if you want an everyday kind of illustration of that's too esoteric for you, uh, how about Christmas Eve? If you're a Christmas Eve parent, uh, when you got little kids, um, that is super fun for the kids. It is not for you. <laughs> because you and Santa have to partner together for a good chunk of the night when you're able to get them down. If you don't have like blow darts available to like take them out and knock them down, then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we should hand those out at Christmas Eve service. It might, might be one of the best things we've ever done. But uh, you get those kids down, and then it's like, hey, if Santa brought him a bike, you got to put it together. If Santa brought him a playhouse, you got to put it together. And then you've got, if you've got company coming over the next day, maybe you got to make food, you got to do all this stuff, you got to. Now, you, and so kids love Christmas Eve because they don't have to do anything, they have one job wake up. That's it. One job. I go to bed. I am giddy. They sleep well because they're giddy. And then they wake up and they receive. Okay, we live our lives as the parents on Christmas Eve when we already have a heavenly father. We're supposed to be on the other side. Not that every day is going to be a Christmas Eve or feel like a Christmas Eve, but conceptually we're supposed to be the ones that understand that the world doesn't depend on us. It doesn't hang on our shoulders. The weight of the world is not upon us. And yes, we, we're instrumental because God chose us to play a part in what he's doing. But ultimately, he's the one that while we rest is putting things together, helping work things together for good, helping do the healing work in our bodies that we need, do all of that stuff. That's God doing those things. When he says, offer right sacrifices in the right spirit, why would he say that? Why, would, why can't we just trust like an emotion or something? Because in worship, you just experienced it right before I came out. 
There's a restoration of order there. When you're panicked, sad, tired, upset, angry, furious, discouraged, when you come before the throne of God and you offer sacrifices to God, your worries and everything begin to be submitted to the glory of God as you're doing it. That's why Paul encourages us to pray if you're anxious. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will be yours. David's saying it here in Psalm 4. He's saying, don't, don't get angry and start yip-yapping and sinning. Sleep on it. Offer sacrifices to God with the right spirit and trust the Lord. It's easier to trust the Lord when you're in the presence of the Lord, when the Lord has close proximity to you. Now, he's always close in proximity to you. What I mean is your felt experience of the proximity of God. So there are places, for instance, that, that you can go that you know give you a sense that you are closer to God. Sometimes it's a person you're with, or, or sometimes it's a, a certain prayer that you utter, or it's reading your Bible, or it's doing all of these kinds of things. Okay, that, that is such a blessing when you're at the end of your proverbial rope with others. Because it reminds you that at the end of the day, God is still on his throne, that we are still at his feet, and that we can trust him. I mean, you guys just saying you're worthy of it all for a long time. And it gave it a chance. It's almost like marinating, you know? That phrase to just get kind of kneaded up in your souls. Okay, well, if he's worthy of it all, and I know that, I believe that, then when I'm going through things, and I, I, I can all of a sudden, I can recognize, okay, if he's worthy of it all, then maybe I'm letting this get the best of me. Maybe this, I'm making a bigger deal out of this than I should. Uh, if he's really that great as I'm worshiping God, then I go, I go okay, well, yeah, wait. They're not going to, they won't triumph. They won't triumph over me. Because he's a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. David here offers a sacrifice of praise. As he's going through it, he sits down and writes a song that we're reading here today. Offer right sacrifices in the right spirit. Then he goes on this uh, kind of piece about joy. And he says, you give me greater joy than people who have, uh, have everything. We'll put it in air quotes. Verses 6 and 7, he says, many people say, who will show us better times? Let your face smile upon us, Lord. You have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and wine. He's saying he has more joy than those whose society might say have it all. David thinks he has it all. He's got greater joy. And so joy to the world is greater than joy of the world. There's a difference. So people... I don't know, for whatever reason, just uh, over my lifetime, I've known a lot of really wealthy people, and they're not always the happiest people I know. That doesn't mean everybody's miserable, but I will tell you, there is not a direct correlation between having stuff and joy. There's a song, uh, Alicia Keys, uh, an artist I love, uh, 
If you get a chance, you can go home, play a song. It's called Not Even the King. The first line of the song is money. Some people are so poor, all they've got is money. And I was like, ooh, my inner preacher leapt within me. I was like, that, that's it. That's what David's saying. He's all, you've given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvest of grain and wine. See, as Christians, we experience the joy of actually having it all. That stuff isn't all. That's barely even a piece of all. All is what we experience in Christ. As Christians, we experience this joy of having it all and stuff that having it all in worldly terms can't provide. We experience the joy of having a secure future, that we're loved, that we're protected by the almighty hand of God, that we're given a spirit of power and love and self-discipline who is the source of and the abundant, of the abundant life now and in the life to come. So I'm joyful not because I have everything, so to speak, because I have everything. Does that make sense? You have the air quote, have it all, and then you've got the actual have it all. There's another movie uh, around Christmas time that people do. I think it's called The Family Man, Nicolas Cage. Um, and in that movie, it's one of those kind of place swappings, alternative future things. Almost it's a wonderful life for a modern time. But he goes in, he's a really successful uh, corporate guy, and then wakes up one day, and he's basically, his life turned out differently, and he's more of a blue-collar guy. And he goes on, and he's, he's really happy with his family because, and, and before he had it all, had all the money, had all the status, had all this stuff. And now he's got this wife and little kids, and he's working at a tire store. And it's about his journey of kind of figuring out which life he prefers. But there's a line in there where he's talking to his wife, you know, in his blue-collar existence, and he says, he says, you know, I just thought, I just thought, you know, we'd have this kind of life where we would, you know, people would envy us, you know, that we'd, we'd matter, we'd be something. And she looks at him and goes, they already do. They already do, because they're happy. They're together. They love each other. See, I think, you know, uh, when it comes down to uh, what we get, what we think will bring us joy, we often, I think God's kind of look down and see what we think might bring us joy, and he's probably kind of disappointed kind of almost looks at us and goes, you're happy with that? C.S. Lewis wrote about this in his famous essay and book, The Weight of Glory. He writes this, he says, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child uh, who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. See, David gets this. His joy doesn't come at the hands of others or because of abundant harvest of grain and wine, his joy is greater. It's not extinguishable. Three. A joyful sleep in heavenly peace. That line from Silent Night. I never really did much thinking about it until this week. It's like, heavenly peace? 
That just kind of gives me a warm feeling. Uh, 38% of us, according to the study I cited earlier, um, about states and ranking them, are sleep deficient. That's almost 40% of us, guys. So what's the problem? What, what, What is it that's giving us this kind of insomnia? David says this in verse 8, in peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, 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 you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. The joyful sleep better. We sleep better because joy is found in the Lord and because we are in the Lord, knowing that he's watching over us as we sleep. He keeps us safe, to use David's words. Remember when you were a little kid? Some of you may still be scared of the dark. I don't know, but you were scared of the dark. The reason we're scared of the dark is because we don't know what's out there, right? I, I don't know what's, what, you know, the, some, some serial killer could be in my room, a monster under the bed, you know, who knows? Somebody looking in the window, somebody could break in the door any second. When you're a little kid, sleeping with the lights out is terrifying. But as you get older, it's not because, theoretically at least, it's not, because you're aware of the safety that surrounds you. You know, you've got doors that are deadbolted. You've got security windows. Uh, you've got weapons in your house if you need to, to take care of business if you have to, God forbid, or whatever. You, there's a feeling of safety that you have as you get older, you're aware. And when you're unsafe, you kind of know that too, whereas a kid doesn't understand what unsafe is. They'll gallop up and down the block, play in the street, do whatever they need to do. They don't have a sense of what's dangerous and what's safe. What David's saying here is, listen, God's people should sleep very well because he's watching over them. It's like having our own personal guard standing over us. And not one of those like dilapidated guys you see in the movies where they just tell him to look that way and he looks that way and they take off. I mean, the God of the universe saying, I will guard you, I will keep you safe. David says, I will lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. He's watching over us as we sleep. We sleep then in heavenly peace. I love that. What would it take for you to sleep Soundly. I mean really soundly. You know, the kind of soundly that, you know, uh, the space shuttle could take off on your front lawn, you're not waking up. The kind that you don't want to wake up from. That kind of soundly. Put a placeholder there. I read a book uh, several years ago. I don't know if any of you have read it. It's called Nod. Anybody read this book? Okay. Here's the horrifying plot of Nod. Everybody wakes up one day. It's set in Vancouver. And no one can sleep. So nobody can sleep anymore. They try, but they can't sleep. So basically insomnia breaks out over all the earth, and nobody's capable of sleeping. Okay? Makes me tired just even describing the plot to you. About one out of every 10,000 people can, though. So you have very rare people that can sleep, and then you have everybody else. And in the star character in the book, he can sleep, but his wife can't. 
And so you all know how we get if we're like, if we're going one day on six hours of sleep, right? We can get pretty cranky and mean, right? Well, you fast forward a day or two or three, you get to a week, and the scientists say psychosis sets in. And 30 days or so, nobody knows because nobody's ever died from lack of sleep, but they guess 30 days or so were a goner. The body would give out and die. So this book chronicles what life is like on earth as society in general gets more and more and more deprived of sleep and what it's like to live as a person who can sleep in a world of people who can't. Now, there's something kind of eerily familiar here in what David is saying in Psalm 4. You've got, uh, he's saying, hey, God's people can sleep well because of what's going on. But the world around us that doesn't have the same kind of deep inner joy may have a little tougher time doing it. At least from a spiritual standpoint, I look at it and I go, man, we're supposed to be the ones who can. But instead of there being some fixed reality where others can't, we're supposed to be able to help them understand the peace that God brings. That allows them to lie down and sleep in peace. When we get to the end of David's psalm, he says what Paul said in Philippians 4. Joy is found in the Lord. It's just where it's found. The closer we get to God, the closer we get to joy. The further away we get from God, the further away we get from what brings joy. And so we go ahead and we choose joy when we get miscalibrated. We go ahead and make the decision, okay, I'm going to recalibrate with my Heavenly Father. Back in London, in the turn of the century, they had these folks. They're called uh, knocker-uppers. That's actually what they were called. And this is your alarm clock before there were alarm clocks. They would pay people to come with a stick and bang on your window. Um, now, there are funny stories around this, what people would do to these people when they, when they banged on their door. Uh, this gal here on the right, she's kind of a pea shooter. Instead of having a stick, she has a glorified straw and puts rocks inside and you know, and hits the window and wakes you up. So I don't know, uh, and, and, and by the way, if you were ever late for your job, you were automatically fired. I mean, you have one job, and that's to help wake everybody else up. So if you can't be there on time, then, you know, everybody's late and everybody gets upset. I was reading this article once, I thought, who woke them up? I was like, who, are, is there an elite task force of these people that, that never sleep? Or do they just wake up automatically because their clock, body clocks are set that way or they all keep roosters in their bedroom? I don't know what they're going to do. It is old school, so I don't know. So I look at this and I go, well, are we supposed to be those who are asleep or those who are awake? The Bible kind of views us as both. For people, when we sleep, we lie down and we rest and we sleep in heavenly peace. But when we're awake, and there's a lot of this in the ministry of Jesus. You, you hear a lot about uh, waking up. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. You'll get these things, these ideas that, you know, there's a, a death of Jesus at a resurrection. Um, people who are, are dead are called asleep. But while we're on this earth living joyfully, we're supposed to be the people that are awake from a spiritual standpoint 
and we're able to help others wake up. Joy is what keeps us awake. It's what allows us to have what we need to go knock on the windows and the doors and to say, hey, I've got something for you. Hey, let me tell you something. Let me, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you about God. Let me tell you about abundant life. Let me tell you about these things. That when we see people sleeping their way through, I don't have anything to knock on up here, but you can picture it in your head. <laughs> bang, bang, bang. Hey. So, I'm going to read this psalm again. I want you to hear it based on what we've, we've just talked about. He says, answer me when I call to you. He's talking to God. Oh, God who declares me innocent, free me from my troubles. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people ruin my reputation? How long will you make groundless accusations? How will you continue your lies? You can be sure of this. The Lord set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will answer when I call to him. Don't sin by letting anger control. You think about it overnight and remain silent. Offer sacrifices in the right spirit and trust the Lord. Many people will say, who will show us better times? Let your face smile on us, O Lord. You have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine. In peace, I will lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. So, as we go forward today, as you head out into the Christmas season, few realities for us, okay? Trusting is better. Okay, trusting is what it's about. It's not about anger or thinking we could take control of every situation, every relationship by ourselves, but trusting God with it, giving it to him in prayer and worship. And then we understand that the joy that God provides us comes from what he's done for us in Jesus. So joy to the world is greater than joy of the world. And so people can go out there and they can chase the gifts and they can chase, you know, whatever. I mean, most kids, we were all kids at one point. We probably got a toy that we thought was going to change our life forever. But we're old enough now, many of us are, to know that you can't find joy in stuff. So even the new stereo I got when I was 12, I thought that was it. I thought, I thought I'd reached the heavenly peak at that point. Ah, two weeks later, it's gone, right? The joy just comes and it goes. Well, God's offering us something different. And then we enjoy our sleep. We sleep well, even if people are attacking us, even if people are coming at us in hostile ways because we know that God has our backs as we sleep. And so, sisters and brothers, today, as we gather around the Lord's table, uh, I invite you to take, offer sacrifices, right sacrifices to the Lord. To not sin by letting anger control us, but to think about it and remain silent. To offer sacrifices in the right spirit and to trust the Lord. Right now, we remember Jesus Christ, who with his body and blood uh, allows us access never that, that people didn't have before him to Jesus. And as the elements come down, if you'd like uh, some bread and cup and you didn't get it on the way in, just do one of these and we'll, we'll give it to you. But as we do this, I'd like to offer a word of prayer as we continue in worship, as we gather around the table of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father. 
We know that you call us to be people of joy, and too often we allow circumstances or the people around us to dictate to us when or how much joy we will live in and walk in. And so, Father, for those of us who are allowing others to dominate our thinking, to dominate uh, our feelings of joy with anger they produce in us, Father, we want to we do what David asks us to do, encourages us to do. We want to be silent. And here in the quiet of this moment, we want to offer you those burdens. And we want to say we trust you to take the tension away, take the anger away, and replace it with joy. Joy in who you are. Joy in what you've done for us. Joy that we have hope. Joy that we have a savior. Joy that we have a church family. Joy that we experience only through you and the finished work of your son. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy in this life and joy in the life to come. Father, now as we take communion, we remember all of these reasons to be joyful and we ask, Father, that you well it up inside of us, that you give us a storehouse of joy, that we might sleep in heavenly peace, calmly, knowing that you are watching over us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.